Blog Talk Radio. Co-host Kerry Clark of BamaMag.com, joined as always by Thomas Watts of Touchdown Alabama Magazine in the Port City of Mobile. I come to you from Hoover, and coming to you very soon from Huntsville is Drew DeArmond of ESPN 97.7 The Zone, and uh, we got a pretty big show tonight, Thomas. I have to say I agree. I'm looking forward to this one. It's going to be a uh... I don't want to say a change of pace, but we're going to have a few live folks. And uh, ironically, for an off-season week, it's been a really busy one at the Capstone. So there's, there's going to be plenty to plumb the depths about, at least for, uh, for football. And, of course, softball is going to be competing against Auburn and other things going on. But it's been an interesting week. Yeah, uh, we had a dismissal from the football team that was announced this afternoon. We'll get more into that. As we go, we have a softball game uh, scheduled for tonight against Auburn University, which is, uh, oddly enough, the first meeting this year between the teams. Alabama played at neither Tennessee nor Auburn on their regular SEC schedule this year put out by the conference. They did play a non-conference game earlier in the season against Tennessee at home and won that game. This will be the first time that the 2016 versions of Auburn and Alabama softball will meet face-to-face on the field and it will come in round two of the SEC tournament, currently being played in Starkville, Mississippi. But I do understand that there's been some weather delays, possibly. uh, There's definitely been a lightning delay, and I'm not even sure if the game before Alabama. uh, Okay, from 18 minutes ago, there's been no official word yet on the resumption time for the Florida Ole Miss game that precedes Alabama-Auburn. That game was halted by lightning in the third inning around an hour ago. And each lightning delay in the SEC requires an automatic 30-minute delay to make sure things are safe. Uh, Things have not been resumed, and there is a tarp out on the field as well, which leads me to believe that there's either the rain or, I've been told, a definite threat of rain for Starkville. So, bottom line, I I said all that to say this. They don't know when Alabama is going to start. Uh, It'll be tonight, but let me just say this. It'll be after the BAMS radio, 9 o'clock Central Time, end time. <laughs> so if you're worried about having to miss the ball in the game or listen to BAMS at the same time as Auburn Alabama softball, I think you're safe. Uh, I think you're going to be okay in that regard. And uh, what time are we expecting Drew tonight? Uh, I think we might get Drew a little bit later. He has to cover some softball, actually. But uh, I know we have – as my phone flips out, I'm sorry. No we have um, – William Redfish Barger in about 10 minutes, you know, rounded up a little bit. And in the second hour, we have John Garcia as our two, uh, two big guests. I guess call them our headliners for the week. So there's still some stuff going on, but it'll be the two of us for at least a little while, Carrie. That's fine. And then also, uh, 
a little bit before John Garcia comes on at 8.30 Central, perhaps around 8.20 Central, we're going to get an Alabama baseball update from Paige Hockman uh, and an Asian Rim update as well on the Asian Rim hotline that she graciously sponsors. Uh, I happened to be there, uh, fortunately, uh, this past Saturday, ran into Paige and her husband Roy at the game, and I was uh, with my wife and my nephew Jake, who is uh, one of the bigger Georgie Salem fans uh, in the world. And so Georgie Salem was not credited with a hit or an RBI, but in the bottom of the 11th with a man on second, he did put a ball in play that the second baseman for Auburn booted and the winning run scored. So he was still the hero in our minds and Jake went crazy and I'm sure Paige went crazy. We'll talk to Paige about that in about an hour and 15 minutes. So, uh, and then I'm sure at some point tonight, Big C will call, but I have not talked to him. So uh, I know he wants to know more about the dismissed player, and uh, that gentleman is Charles Baldwin, a backup offensive tackle who just transferred in from junior college in January. He was quite a short-timer. He was Jonathan Taylor's short-timer, although I don't believe the offense is the same. He did break some type of team rule, and it may be that uh, in about 10 minutes when we're joined by William Redfish Barger that he can kind of shed some light on that. But uh, then, you know, again, we will discuss Alabama baseball uh, in detail in hour two. But they did take two out of three from Auburn. My sweet prediction got shot down by a shoddy performance on Sunday. I was all in line to, to brag about it, but it got shot down Sunday. But two out of three uh, in, in the SEC against Auburn. The arch trial is still good. They have to go to Arkansas this weekend. And Arkansas is not very good. We'll get Pace to elaborate more on that when she calls in. But, Arkansas is not very good. Alabama hasn't been able to pull off a sweep all year yet, uh, but I believe they'll at least take two out of three in Fayetteville. And uh, if they do that, then they'll be in good shape for a road regional. And, uh, of course, they've got a series next weekend at home against South Carolina, and then the following week they'll be here where I live in Hoover, Alabama, for the SEC tournament. They are going to make that. They won't be one of the teams that doesn't make the tournament. So, uh but, Thomas, you know, we went over the depth chart a little bit a couple of weeks ago, and uh, it had Charles Baldwin on it, and um, he was a backup, left tackle or right tackle, depending on who you talk to. But uh, he is now no longer on the depth chart or even on the team. Yeah, and people, there were some folks that, that kind of flipped out when this happened, and it's unfortunate that the young man uh, couldn't toe the line, which is, some of the some of the scuttlebutt that is that you've heard coming out, but I'm hoping that Redfish will have will be able to set us straight on that. But this guy was a backup. Uh, Jonah Williams came in as a true freshman and really grabbed the right tackle job by the throat through the spring. Now, is that going to stay that way moving forward? Well, now you would hope so. But Baldwin, you know, again, you go to it. You don't recruit a JUCO unless you think you, he can come in and. Uh, really have instant excellent production and that that you know that that is the case with him in some, in many ways but he's a backup and Nick Saban said he has to you know he what was his statement he has a lot to do to kind of buy into the process he said that during spring practice he had a long way to go so is it unfortunate for the young man absolutely in terms of the Alabama football team eh you lost a potentially really good backup as it stands right now i'm not i'm not losing sleep over this guy moving on no i'm not either and you know jonah williams a true freshman who got out of high school and was two years younger 
came in, went through spring, and beat him out. I mean, it wasn't even close. Corey Carvin was ahead of him, really. Uh, Corey used to be on the D-line. And I, I put a depth chart out on a couple of different websites in the last couple of weeks. That one, and, you know, I tried to do the depth chart the way Saban would do it when he passes them out the first week of the regular season. And I said, right tackle, uh, Jonah Williams, or capital or like Saban does, Corey Kerbin. Because I do think Jonah Williams will start at right tackle, but Corey Kerbin is, in my opinion, the swing tackle, the backup at left and right tackle. Uh, so I listened that way, and a couple people wanted to argue with that. But it, it, in no way was I not saying Jonah would start. I do think Jonah will start. William Redfish Barger thinks Jonah will start. Uh, I think if you talk to him in, in depth, Mario Cristobal would tell you that he, he thinks Jonah will start. But Corey Kerbin is the first tackle off the bench, not Charles Baldwin. Uh, Charles was, you know, a very a very hyped junior college player, an All-American junior college offensive lineman. But it's a little bit different when you get to compete in the SEC against that type of five- and four-star defensive lineman and practice every day. And, you know, you have to learn a new offense. And uh, in some cases, you have to refine your technique, be it run block or pass block technique. And all those things had not come far enough along for Charles to even be considered with the first team. So nobody needs to be panicking about this. Uh, I I will totally agree with you. Uh, But it is what it is. He's not on the team anymore. Uh, At this hour, you know, at eight, nine minutes after seven central on BAM's radio, we don't know exactly what he did, but there's a chance that between William and Drew, hopefully Drew can join us later, but there's a chance that between the two of them, they'll know exactly what he did. I'm already getting texts, you know, asking me. I can imagine Drew's phone. He's probably blown up the smithereens by now. But you got it. The Alabama Nation, they're, you know, this could be a, a third-team walk-on, but if this kind of announcement comes out, everybody wants to know what they did. Um, <laughs> but I'm, I'm pretty sure Alabama's going to get past this, Thomas. Oh, certainly. I mean, one of the things that, came out during the spring even when we were discussing Charles Baldwin and you can see it in even the A-Day game you know, the, the public game yes the first team offensive line struggled but realized that there was no Cam Robinson and that forced some shuffling and then the second team offensive line really put in yeoman's work against the second team defense so it's a deep group and yeah, Alabama's going to get past it. Mario Cristobal is finally fixing some, well, the, the the recruiting issue fix that was much discussed, much ballyhooed, particularly after that 2012 national championship team. That, if there was a necessary fix, that fix is now in. The guys that Cristobal's been working with have had time to develop under him, and there's a whole pack of very large, very big eaters ready to uh, chew up some opposing defensive linemen for the Crimson Tide offense. And speaking of defensive linemen, uh, Alabama has officially announced the hiring of a former Buffalo Bill defensive line coach, Carl Dunbar, with Nick Saban being quoted as saying that Dunbar is a fantastic football coach, in quotes, who will be a, quote, great asset in recruiting. And uh, this was a situation where Carl Dunbar lost his job in Buffalo in March. He wanted to give a whirl at the college game. He made that known to Nick Saban. 
He's been known everywhere he's coached for producing good defensive lines. We're not exactly positive what kind of recruiter he'll be. Saban says good, but uh, he did recruit for less miles at a couple of stops on his career. Uh, but when he worked for Nick Saban at LSU in 2000 and 2001, he was a weight room coach. Uh, in 2005 at LSU, he was a defensive line and recruiter for less miles. So he knows how to recruit. He just hasn't done it for a while. But he has a very good reputation in the NFL. Uh, I'll just be honest with you, Thomas. Uh, I've got it from pretty good sources that he was not the first choice. Uh, that was Tracy Rocker at Georgia, former Auburn player. But uh, the Rocker family decided this was not the time for them to make a move because they have a son who's uh, 15 or 16 years old that is potentially going to be a Major League Baseball prospect in a couple of years, and they're very happy with the program that he's in right now over in, the, in Georgia, Atlanta, and Athens, etc. So they didn't think this was the time to be packing up and moving to Alabama. Two or three years down the road, when that young man has begun either his college or pro baseball career, it's not out of the question that maybe Dunbar goes back the pros and rocker comes to Alabama, but for now it is Carl Dunbar, and I, I, it's a it's a hire that while it doesn't really blow me away, it's still a solid hire and a guy who's got pro experience and has some recruiting experience, and uh, you know he's even coached Bama guys like Marcel Darius. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how Carl Dunbar does at Alabama. He will not have a dearth of talent to work with, although. He will have to develop some depth uh, early on when he gets here. Well, certainly. And I think that if there's a problem, and I put problem in air quotes, it's that he's following up Bo Davis, who was loved by all, and, his, and Bo Davis's coaching acumen was obviously on display with last year's group of players. But Dunbar, you know, if you pull up his, his curriculum vitae, He's been coaching since 1998 in some capacity. And NFL, I want to see how the NFL thing works out for Dunbar. Because if you remember, Mel Tucker was an NFL guy, primarily. Mm-hmm. You know, he did yeah. have some, some time with that with Saban at Michigan State. But you know, Mel Tucker was primarily NFL. I think you're going to see the fruit, a lot of the fruits of Mel Tucker's labor really come to bear this year. Yes, I realize he's moved on to Georgia, but there's a lot of hype surrounding the Alabama secondary thanks to what Tucker was able to do. Now, I'm not taking anything away from the other coaches. It's just it worked for Tucker, and hopefully it works for Dunbar. And you're absolutely right. There are a bunch of really talented bodies there, but they're going to be really talented bodies asking to do being asked excuse me to do new things and step up because even though Sean Robinson Jaron Reed both fell in the draft in the middle of the second round you know they were uber players and yes Alabama's a factory and yes Alabama's got talent but you still got to replace that production so but we'll see it's a it's, again i think it's a little unfair to go after Bo Davis but if you again looking at his CV, he'll be all right. Oh, it's all higher. Uh, here's what I hope, Thomas. I hope this is more of a uh, Mel Tucker hire than a Greg Brown hire. And I'll just leave Fair it there. We don't we don't know yet, but we do know that we have our first caller of the night on the Asian Rim Hotline. And I'm going to go ahead and bring on Big C from Greenville. But while we do that, I'm going to give Thomas time while I talk to Colin. Uh, to go ahead and line up our first actual guest. 
And I do want to tell the people listening that Big C is calling in on the Asian Rim Hotline, where they have specials all the time. Monday is $1.25 sushi. Tuesday and Thursday is $10 off a takeout order if you go pick it up from 4 to 7 p.m. Wednesday is $5 craft martinis. Thursday is half off all wine. Uh, so, uh, And then Monday through Friday, they have a happy hour where uh, if you get there from 3 to 6, it's $2 off wine, $1 off beer. So all kind of things going on at Asian Rim. I had lunch there today. I tried what's called the uh, drunken noodle uh, with chicken, and it was very good. And I had my usual shrimp boat appetizer, and it was very good. And the service from Nicole was very good. So on the Asian Rim hotline on BAMS Radio, let's welcome in Colin Big C McGuire. What's going on, buddy? Not much, Key. How y'all doing tonight? Doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. We don't have Drew with us yet, but uh, we got Thomas working on our uh, first guest of the night. And I think we'll let you stay on here long to ask him one question since y'all have talked before. We're going to be joined in a minute by William Redfish Barger. Oh, good. So he might have an idea of what happened, or does he, or do you know? Well, we hope. We hope. Uh, if anybody that, that is a friend of the show would know, it would be him, him or Drew. Yeah. So, um, and uh, we'll have William on in just a few minutes, and we'll we'll bring him on while you're still on here. Uh, so we'll skip the talk right now about Baldwin, but I wanted to see if you had any other questions for me. Well, uh, what? Um, okay, you, you did say it's now official that Dunbar got hired as the head. I mean, as the defensive line coach. Yes, that was announced by the university in the last hour. Yeah, I heard that uh, yesterday he had a Twitter account, but it still wasn't official. Did they just have to go through a lot of little re- rope uh, jump ropes before they finally could officially uh, announce it? What was the deal there, do you know? Normally when they make a hire like that, it has to be voted on by the athletics committee of the Board of Trustees, which can be done on a conference call as long as we have a quorum. And it's always just uh, basically a, a, a technicality they have to go through. It's, it's, it's not something that ever gets argued about. If Saban deems the person worthy of being hired and they approve it. But, yeah, I mean, there's, there's paperwork that has to be filled out. Contracts have to be signed. You know, agents get involved. You know, I think they've had a handshake deal for three or four days. But uh, And like you said, the Twitter account was created yesterday, and that pretty much told you that it was going to happen. But the actual email with the quotes from Saban and all that was sent out in the last 30 minutes or so by the university. Let me ask you this. Now, you might not know, but I'm just sort of curious. Who, who makes the decision on what to pay the assistant? Does Saban do that, or does him and Battle do that, or, or the agent? Or how does that all work out, or do you know? I think they negotiate with them. Uh, I do okay. think agents get involved. and uh, But, I mean, you know, some coaches make a lot more than other coaches, and that might be just because those coaches have better agents. Uh, that's just kind of my opinion. Uh, I don't have any idea of what Dunbar is going to make. That may come out soon. But, Big C, while we got you on the phone, we want to uh, go ahead and bring on our first guest on the Asian Rim Hotline of the evening, uh, a scheduled guest. And it's a guy you've spoken to on BAMS before. Uh, welcome to Bams Radio, William Redfish Barger. Hey, Hi, Jerry. How you doing, man? Doing good. Big uh, C is uh, curious to know if we have any details on what the possible transgression was for Mr. Baldwin, William. You know, I, I haven't been able to find out just yet. Um, you know, at first glance, that situation, uh, you know, kind of puzzles me a lot. You know, you, you – you know, Coach Saban is known for, 
you know, handing out second chances, you know, quite frequently, uh, maybe even to some people that, you know, didn't deserve them. You know, I.e. Jonathan Taylor, the nose guard, uh, back in January. Uh, not January of this year, but January of last year. Um, but but I don't know. Um, I'm still in the process of trying to find out. Um, my guess is that looking at it at first glance, um, you know, that it might be a, a transgression that, you know, say somebody like a, a Tony Brown uh, might have committed that, that, you know, has the – you know, the opportunity to be a great player at Alabama if he can get his act together. Uh, you know, maybe it's more along the lines of uh, they didn't think he was going to help the program out a whole heck of a lot this year. And, you know, maybe they took this opportunity to, uh, you know, cut bait and move on. And, you know, I'm kind of happy about it because it makes a, uh, you know, a guy that I'm I'm very, very, you know, bought into – uh, and want to be a part of the program, you know, come February of 2017. I'm talking about the the five-star offensive tackle, Alex Leatherwood. It certainly makes the depth chart a little bit more appealing to him to, uh, you know, seal the deal and, and become a part of the, the 2017 recruiting class. Big C, have you got a question for William Poy that you go to? Yeah, who, I, yeah, who is the Leatherwood guy? I've never heard of him. And where is he from, William? Big say he is uh kind of the the this year's version of Cam Robinson. Uh, you know, some people yeah. have him have him rated the right way and have him, you know, being a five star. He's a he's a six foot five, three hundred and twenty five pound right tackle, uh, from Pensacola, Florida. Um he, he is the real deal. Um he, he could go anywhere in the country and, and play early and often as a true freshman. And I just hope that he, uh, you know, s- sticks to his word and signs up to play for the Crimson Tide. Now, what high school does he play at? Do you know? I mean, where, where's, what high school is he from down there? Uh, hang on one second, and I'll tell you. Um, he, he's from Pensacola. Let me let me type this in real quick. This is the luxury that we have, Alex. Yo, he sounds a lot. William, he sounds a lot to me like a young DJ Fluker. Uh, Alex Leatherwood, Pensacola, Florida, Washington High School. Washington. Okay. That's what they pay me the big bucks for in the production van. <laughs> <laughs> they got they've had some real good players come from that AA like course Trent. Number three, Wildman and Trent. They're uh, hopefully he'll get his act together and be uh, do well with uh, who did he go to? Uh, he got a he got a one a year deal Ravens. with the Baltimore Ravens. Big C. Maybe he'll maybe he'll act, get his act together and be able to plan out. I hope so. He was well, a great you know, player. You know, Big C. I mean, you know, Trent came to college. Um, you know, with some baggage, he had he had two kids by two different women and. You know, he had a brother and a mother and an uncle. Um, You know, everybody has an Uncle Willie. And, uh, you know, he had one in real life. Uh, So, you know, he's kind of had a, you know, a a tough road to hoe. But, you know, I think if if Trent can clear his mind and, you know, put all that stuff behind him, I I think he's got a great chance. You know, obviously a 
you know, a former Alabama great, Ozzie Newsom's the GM up there at Baltimore. So I think he's going to get a fair shake up there, and he's got a chance to have, you know, a, you know, a solid NFL career if he gets his mind right. Big C, we appreciate you calling. I'll holler at you tomorrow morning about 7.45. And uh, you have a good night, brother. That was Colin Big C. McGuire, uh, former Alabama manager uh, on two national championship teams in 78 and 79 and a regular caller to Bama's Radio here on the Asian Rim Hotline. And we are joined, as I said earlier, by William Redfish Barber, Barger. Uh, Mr. Barger is a former All-SEC freshman offensive lineman. And as a senior, he was named uh, All-SEC and All-American uh, as a tail chaser. Right, Will? I still got him. Hold on one second. I think he muted himself. Yeah, I'm he here. <laughs> well, William, uh, we'll get back to the football talk. Uh, you told a pretty funny story offline, and I wanted you to share it with our listeners. But uh, why don't you tell our listeners and Thomas the story of uh, how making Dean's List uh, ended up getting you a, a fishing boat? God, oh, Mike. Um, well, uh, I'm trying to think. Let's see. Number one, let's see. The NCAA statute of limitations have run out. This was 25 years ago. Yeah, I'm in the clear. Um, it was your dad. Yes, it was. Uh, my poor dad, the preacher, um, who was a Presbyterian minister up in Tennessee. Um he he kind of got a little bit frustrated with me uh, underachieving in the classroom, I guess, is the best way of putting it. But, um, you know, I, I was living with, a, a you know, my, my best friend still to this day, John Clay. And, you know, he kind of, you know, recognized early on that, you know, we were uh, going down to Paul Bryant Jr.'s private farm and, uh, you know, fishing two or three days a week. And, uh, you know, he came up with a bright idea that, you know, hey, uh, you know, since you've been underachieving in the classroom um, for the last two years, I'm going to, you know, give you a family bet. If you make the dean's list this semester, um, you know, I'll buy you guys a bass boat. And, you know, of course, you know, all of my, you know, scams and, and, you know, doing stuff at the street level, you know, was running through my mind. And I was like, yes, daddy. Um We'll do that. And, you know, so I signed up. You know, my dad didn't understand that, you know, I, I kind of held all the cards and, and could sign up for, um, you know, classes that, that benefited me and um, could, could, you know, instantly put me on the dean's list. And uh, that's what I did. And, uh, you know, it, it worked out that way. Um, I made the dean's list, and this was in – the spring of, yeah, spring of 92, um, you know, Coach Stallings called me into his office and wanted to know how in the world I had made the dean's list um, because I had, you know, two 300-level classes, um, you know, on, on my, um, you know, report card that, you know, if, if you miss class, you get, you know, three free cuts. And if you go beyond that, they lower your, your grade by letter grade for every day that you missed a class beyond the three free cuts. And so, you know, I have to go and see Coach Stallings, and he's like, you know, hey, how did you pull this off? And, 
you know, I was totally honest with Coach Stallings. I said, well, Coach, uh, you know, I signed up for, you know, a lot of these classes, and, um, you know, I, I put the work in, but, you know, I didn't go to class as much as I was supposed to. And he goes, well, why didn't you go to class? And I said, well, uh, you know, I skipped class because I was fishing. And he goes, well, you know, why were you fishing? And, you know, how did you get these teachers, these professors, um, you know, to, to give you the grade that you deserved? And I said, well, I bribed them. And he goes, well, what does that mean? And I said, well, you know, yeah, I, I got them autographed footballs. I gave them T-shirts. I gave them shorts, you know, gave them Alabama gear. And, you know, Coach Stallings just went off the reservation. You know, the reservation is like, my God, man, you're – you're, you know, I can't say this on BAMs, but, you know, you're, you're the biggest BS artist I've ever seen, brother. You know, you can't be doing this. This isn't how the real world works. I said, well, Coach, you know, this is how my real world works. I, you know, made the Dean's List, and, you know, this is what I got. And he goes, well, I'm fixing to call your – you know, he called my dad the preacher, um, you know, because he's a Presbyterian minister up in Tennessee. He goes, I'm fixing to call the preacher and tell him that I'm not going to pay for your summer school. And I said, well, well, knock yourself out. Go call the preacher. So, you know, he calls my father, the preacher, um, you know, who had made the, you know, the bet with me. Um, if I made the dean's list, he would buy me a bass boat. And the preacher made good on his bet. He bought me the bass boat. Um, now, the preacher spent the next two years after I made the dean's list for the first and only time wondering why, you know, I never made the dean's list again. But, you know, Coach Stallings calls him, and he goes, hey, man, you know, I got, you know, Bill down here, and he's bullshitted me once again, and uh, he's made the dean's list, and he didn't deserve it, and I'm not going to pay for his summer school. And, you know, my dad was, you know, pretty upset by that, you know, getting a phone call from the head coach of Alabama saying, that, you know, I'm not going to pay for your, you know, your son's summer school. So at the next team meeting that we had, you know, Coach Stallings decided to, you know, kind of raw dog me a little bit in front of the team. And uh, he said, you know, hey, guys, I want you to understand, you know, what happens when you, you try and, you know, BS your head coach. And uh, Brother Bill over here is the, uh, the prime example. Um, you know, he made the Dean's List. You know, it's now come out that, you know, he, you know, bribed the, the, the professors to give him, you know, some Bs when he deserves Cs and some As when he deserves Bs. And, uh, you know, he's in trouble. And uh, so, he, you know, he kind of tried to big dog me a little bit in front of the team. And uh, he goes, you know, hey, Bill, what does it feel like to know that your dad has to pay for your summer school this summer? And, you know, I looked in front, you know, at Coach Stallings in front of the whole team. And I said, you know what, Coach, I made the dean's list. I don't think I have to go to summer school this summer. <laughs> Let's go. Now, look, I'm not, I know that I'm not Scott Moore or anything like that, but let me give this a shot. Brother Bill, you about the biggest bullshit artist I ever known in my whole life. Hey, Kerry, hey, what, what's better than that is, you know, I, I kind of got into some other trouble separate from the, the Dean's list. Oh, sure. And, and, and you know, and, and it involves, you know, hey, uh, you know, you may or may not, you know, enjoy uh, going out to, uh, you know, the bars and stuff in Tuscaloosa and, you know, beating people up. And I was like, well, yeah, I'm guilty as charged, Coach. I, I do enjoy that. And, 
you know, I'm dating one of the best-looking girls off campus, and, you know, there's a byproduct that's involved with that. You know, sometimes, you know, I, you know, the, the frat guys want to, you know, try out the biggest guy in the barn. You know, sometimes I'm that guy. Then he goes, hey, man, you need to find a, a, a hobby or, or an outlet that doesn't involve alcohol. And I said, well, coach, what's that? Hey, man, take your girlfriend bowling this weekend. That, that, you know, bowling is a great hobby. It's a athletic sport. It takes a great skill set to go do that. And I said, so you're telling me to take her to the bowling alley there on 15th Street? Yes, sir. That's what I'm telling you. Take her to the bowling alley, brother. So I walk out of Coach Stallings' office out of that after that meeting, and, and somebody, Terry, that you know I know you've known for a long time, Linda Knowles was Coach Stallings' secretary, and she's sitting there, and God knows she experienced you know a lot of uncomfortable meetings of you know me getting into trouble and going into Coach Stallings' office and coming out of there. And I walked out of his office, and I guess I you know kind of looked like the cat that ate the canary, and I had a you know, a, a poop-eating grin on my face, and she goes, what are you laughing about? And uh, she goes, you know, you, you look like the cat that ate the canary, and I said, I just did. And she goes, why? I said, well, Coach Stallings just told me to take my girlfriend to the bowling alley this weekend for our date. And she goes, what's so funny about that? I said, hey, Linda, the bowling alley serves beer, too. Linda Knowles, by the way, also the secretary for one Paul Bear Bryant. So that's uh, right. Yeah, that's a uh, that's great. That's this is the kind of stuff that you only get on Bam's radio. But you know, and I understand you being the biggest guy in the bar and all that. But you know, William, I, I know how you look now, and I, I I look at that picture of you and Gary, the owner, uh, that's hanging up in in the hallway. Over there at Ramajama, and, and by the way, back then nobody was saying Gary looked like Nick Saban, but that's another story. He does kind of like him now. But you know, you look like a, more like a tight end in that picture. Well, you know, Kerry, that's what I played in high school. That's what I was signed. Uh, you know, one of the reasons I signed with Alabama. Um, you know, my my second choice coming out of high school was Michigan, where my grandfather played. He was actually an offensive guard with the former U.S. president, Gerald Ford, at the University of Michigan. And the the main reason why I didn't want to go to Michigan is they didn't think I was ever going to be big enough to be an offensive lineman for them. And, uh, you know, I know the picture that you're talking about, that was uh, the summer before the 1992 season because I remember – um, you know, the, the Centennial patch was on my jersey. And to this day, that was the best job that I've ever had. Um, you know, Gary had the houndstooth set up so the right way. you got to understand, you know, this was in, you know, 1992. Um, the majority of the college kids that were coming into the houndstooth didn't have credit cards. Um, you know, there wasn't debit cards. So every time, you know, Johnny or Jennifer College reached in their pocket to pay for a beer or a drink, um, you know, the drunker they got, you know, the dollar bills got spilled out onto the floor. And, uh, you know, that was a $15 an hour job. Um, you know, I ate a cheeseburger every night, got paid out by the bartenders and tips. 
uh, you know, I was I was raking in about seven hundred and fifty dollars a week, and that was in nineteen ninety two. That's pretty good, man. Oh, Gary's mother just uh, retired from the Better Business Bureau, my full-time job, just a couple of months ago. And we all we all missed her, but uh, we were kind of hoping he'd cave the party, but he didn't. But uh, that's that's an interesting story. That's a that is a great. I didn't even know they had beer at, at Ramen Jam. But uh, anyway, uh, so back to football. Thomas and I and, and uh, Big C, we discussed a little bit about the Carl Dunbar. Higher, uh, but it seems from I guess the uneducated point of view, which is me, like a pretty good hire uh, from all practical purposes. I'm not sure about the recruiting acumen, but I do know that he uh, worked in the weight room for Saban and worked as a on-field coach at Oklahoma State and LSU for less miles. So he has to know a little bit about recruiting, but most of his experience is in the NFL. But it's been good experience, and he's produced pretty solid, pretty nasty D lines everywhere he's been. What is your opinion of this hire in early stages? You know, I look at it from a couple of different angles, Kerry. I think, number one, um, you know, he's a guy that was a, a really, you know, I don't want to call him an elite player, um, you know, in the SEC. But, you know, he was a, 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 a big-time guy in the SEC as a defensive end. Um, you know, played in the NFL for, I think, three years. Um you know, his coaching career, um, once he got out of the NFL, he went back to Louisiana, was a high school coach for a while, um, you know, was a, a drug narc, basically, um, you know, down there for, for the police department. And, you know, then went back to the NFL. He's been there for the last 10 years. And, you know, I kind of liken it to the Mel Tucker hire, um, you know, 18 months ago for Alabama. And, you know, you look at this stuff, and, you know, this is a guy that, you know, maybe you might want to say you you wonder about his recruiting prowess. Well, this is a guy that, you know, played in the NFL, coached in the NFL, um, you know, has, has a, a, a very, very strong story to tell about being a drug narc, um, which, you know, tells me that, you know, the guy's got, um, you know, huge cojones, so to speak if you're willing to go do that. And, you know, I think that's a guy that, that, you know, demands street credibility from a standpoint of uh, coached in the NFL, you know, hey, I was a narc, you know, from the drug scene. Uh, I think that, you know, when you look at the guys that Alabama's recruiting at that position that he's going to cross paths with, um, you know, with the with the prospects and their, you know, I think he can tell a, a pretty good story about, you know, hey, I might not be able to tell you what is the right thing to do, but I can certainly tell you a pretty solid story about what not to do. And I think that's going to, you know, kind of ring home with a lot of these recruits and their parents. You know, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to sit here and say that I don't think that the loss of Bo Davis is not a loss. Um, I, I think that guy came back in his second stand at Alabama uh, when he came back from Texas, a much better defensive line coach, a much better recruiter. Um, you know, I, I've had a personal relationship with with one guy that, 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 you know, has been on that team as a defensive line guy for the last two years that has told me story after story about how hard those guys 
you know, want to play for Bo Davis. And, and you know, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and, you know, try and BS the listeners and say, you know, they can just pick up where Bo left off because I don't think that's, you know, realistic. Um, but but I do think, um, you know, if you look at the two guys that, that Nick targeted, you know, in, in uh, Carl Dunbar and Tracy Rocker, um, I think both of those guys were, um, you know, great X's and O's defensive line coaches. Um, you know, it's no secret that Tracy Rocker um, doesn't like to recruit, and, and you know, that part of the, the deal might have been something that, you know, the guys on the Alabama staff might have to, you know, pick up the, the pieces and, you know, have filled in for him. But but I think, you know, Carl Dunbar is at a point in his career where um, he, he's going to be that guy. And, you know, I think Alabama fans need to, you know, kind of sit back and kind of take a wait-and-see approach about the recruiting aspect of it. But, you know, make no mistake, this is a guy that has been in the NFL for 10 years. And, you know, they don't – you know, when when they're spending that kind of money for a proven product at the NFL level, they don't let you hang out for 10 years if you don't know what you're doing. And I think that's what Nick Saban saw. And, you know, I think that's what we're going to see from Carl Dunbar going forward. That's fair. That's fair. Thank you for that. Uh, we're talking to William Redfish Barger, former Alabama offensive lineman, and uh, basically the fourth uh, the fourth amigo on Bams Radio these days. And we got him live tonight, which is great. And I wanted to let our listeners know we're talking to William on the Asian Rim Hotline. And y'all need to check out the Asian Rim anytime you're anywhere around uh, Highway 280 in Birmingham. Go to the Colonnade Shopping Center. Go in there and see uh, Paige and Roy Hawkman, your hosts and hostess, the owners. And uh, Paige, of course, is the father of Georgie Salem, uh, the mother of Georgie Salem, uh, the uh, center fiddle for Alabama's baseball team. We'll have her on next hour. Uh, but uh, go in there and check out the Asian Rim, get you some good Thai food or some sushi, great service, great uh, atmosphere, great food. And go to AsianRim.com and check out all the specials they're having. I went over a few of those earlier, but we are talking to William on the Asian Rim hotline. Before we get back to that conversation, I do need to let everybody know that the Southeastern Conference has decided that Alabama and Auburn are not going to play tonight due to the weather issues in the Starkville area and the fact that they haven't even resumed the prior game between LSU and Ole Miss yet. So Alabama and Auburn are now going to play tomorrow morning at 11 Central Time on ESPNU. So once again, Alabama and Auburn for tonight has been postponed in round two of the SEC softball tournament. They'll play Friday the 13th, that's tomorrow if you're listening live, at 11 a.m. Central and that game will be broadcast live on ESPNU. The two didn't meet in the regular season this year, but they will meet now, and there'll be a little bit at stake. But it's still a very, very, very strong chance that both of those programs will host both regionals and super regionals, regardless of the outcome of tomorrow morning's game. All right, getting back to football, William, they are, they are having some spring jamborees around the state, uh, even tonight, uh, in high school, that is. And Ben Thomas, um, who has been on the show once, is at – the Spanish Fort game, and he reports that Justin Thomas, whose dad, Atlas Herion, played at Alabama, and Justin is strongly considering Alabama, uh, has had an impressive first half with a sack, a tip pass that led to a pick six, and multiple quarterback hurries. So uh, Justin Thomas is a guy that is strongly considering Alabama. Is it fair to say, William, that he's a take? 
you know what's so funny, Carrie, and this is going to age you a little bit. Before I get into, uh, you know, my personal evaluation on Justin Thomas, do you know who uh, Paige Hockman's first husband was? George Salem, I think. Yep, yep. that's exactly yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah, it's the son, Georgie Salem. That's exactly right. And uh, what's so funny about it is, you know, two years ago when I used to live out on 280, um, you know, I'm not a sushi guy. You know, when I go to a sushi restaurant, I always try and make sure that, you know, they have like a hibachi grill on the other side where I can get, you know, teriyaki chicken and rice so I can, you know, eat because I'm not a sushi person. Um, but, but what's so funny about it is her, her first husband was George Salem. Um, he actually gave me the uh, – High School Lineman of the Week Award in 1988, which followed up and, and became, um, I won the, the uh, Birmingham Touchdown Club Lineman of the Year Award, which her first husband gave me, uh, George. And, and, you know, his family had a restaurant here in, in Birmingham called Captain Hooks, which for people that, you know, didn't get to experience it was easily one of the top restaurants in Birmingham, you know, you got the Greek snapper, the Greek tenderloin, uh, scamp, you know, great, great restaurant by that, that, that Salem family. Um, but going back to, uh, Justin Thomas for a minute. And when you talk about who his dad was, um, you know, I'm still not sold on the fact that he's going to be a college defensive lineman. Um, you know, it might turn into a situation where, um, you know, Alabama or whoever ends up taking him, I think it's going to be Alabama as long as Jeremy Pruitt, um, you know, is the defensive coordinator at Alabama. I think they will take him. Um, but but he might be a guy that you see, um, you know, get signed as a defensive end and turns into an offensive guard, um, you know, just like his, his dad was. Um, great player. Um, we'll just have to wait and see what he turns into at the college level. I want to ask you about another prospect. I, I realize he, in the short three months he was at ING Academy, he did not win a starting job, so he's back at Buckhorn now. But there's been some rumors circulating that uh, Buckhorn linebacker, defensive end, whether he's going to be in college, Jack linebacker maybe, Will Ignat might be probably committed to Alabama, and I was just wondering, do you feel like he has a committable offer, and what's your evaluation on Will Ignat? No, absolutely, I think he does, and uh, I think you'll see that that deal kind of play out, um, you know, maybe a month from now, you know, when they have the uh, the June camp. Um, you know, he's a guy, you know, 6'2", 230, um, you know, ran a 4'6 flat, you know, at the um, the opening over in Atlanta a couple months ago. Um, you know, I'm a little bit disturbed by him from the standpoint that, you know, he went down to IMG um, and couldn't win a starting job and, you know, went back, you know, went, went you know, kind of screaming back home up to Buckhorn and, you know, wants to finish his high school career out there, you know, I look at that and I say, well, you know, what's going to happen to him when he comes to Alabama? And, you know, the same thing happens. So, 
Uh, I'm I'm a little bit, you know, puzzled by that. At the same time, do I think he's a, a guy that's, you know, going to commit to Alabama in the next 60 days? Yeah, he probably is. Okay. And I know your favorite linebacker of this class coming up in 2017 is not even a high school guy. He's a junior college guy that uh, pretty much seems to get to the ball quickly and get there with an attitude. Uh, give us the redfish barger evaluation of Gary Johnson. Good Lord. Um, you know, Kerry, the, the reason I like this guy so much is, you know, he's a legit 4-4 guy. You know, he, he's not, you know, the biggest guy on campus. You know, he's 6-1, you know, about 220. But, my Lord, you know, he runs so well. Um, you know, he gets to the collision so fast. Um, you know, runs out there in coverage, intercepts passes, runs them back into uh, touchdowns. Uh, you know, he he's just, you know, when you look at this class and you start looking at guys like, you know, Najee Harris, Alex Leatherwood, I mean, obviously they're, you know, I mean, Najee Harris, if he comes to Alabama, he's going to win the Heisman Trophy. Um, Alex Leatherwood, you know, he's the next, you know, Cam Robinson. Um, but, you know, Gary Johnson, you know, he, he he's the – he, he's probably the the most talented, you know, you know whether you want to say high school or junior college linebacker since Alabama signed, you know, Reuben Foster. Um, he just is an elite player. And, you know, I, I hope they hang on to him. Um, you know, I think if you look at Alabama's nine commitments right now that they've got, um, you know, Najee Harris is one, Alex Leatherwood is two, Gary Johnson is three. Um, you know, I think the running back um, from Tuscaloosa, um, I think his name's Brian Robinson, he's another one that's fixing to, you know, move up into that elite level. Um, the, 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 I think this, you know, has a chance to be, um, you know, even though Nick Saban has signed, you know, one you know, number one recruiting class right after another. You know, Nick has a goal that, you know, he feels like to, you know, keep competing at the level that they've been doing, that they have to sign four guys every year that are slam duck first-round draft picks. And, you know, if you go back and you look at the NFL drafts, you know, for the last, what, nine years now, they've done that. Um the coaches that I talk to that I spend time with feel like they have a chance to sign six or seven guys this year that, that fall into that role. And I think that's really special. It, it is, William. And, and obviously one of those guys that you referred to was Najee Harris. Uh, he's certainly going to be hard to hang on to. But my understanding is that another member of this class, one of the newer members, Hawaiian quarterback Tua to go by Loa is pretty good friends with Najee, and that can only help. Yeah, and, you know, I think that's a, another, um, you know, carry, you know, a part about what, what Nick is really doing at Alabama is, you know, you, you've got these, these far-reaching tentacles, I, I guess is the best way of putting them, is – you know, you, you can go out there and you get a kid from Hawaii 
you can go up there and you can get a a Richie Pettibone from from Washington D.C. or uh, you know a, a guy like Robert Foster from Pennsylvania. Um, you know, I think that's what's really going on right now in, in recruiting with Alabama is, you know, it, it's it's not you know signing the top you know six or seven guys from the state of Alabama. It's you know. What, what what's going on in the big picture? And you know they go get those guys, and, and they they come to Alabama, they have a fruitful career, and they go on to you know NFL riches. They definitely do. And speaking of quarterbacks, um, in the 18 class, all eyes are on Jack West of Saraland, just outside of Mobile, and he's not just a southeastern recruit; he's a national recruit. With that being said, is it fair to say that Tua is the only quarterback for the 17 class? I mean, Kerry, this isn't, you know, I'm not a guy that's, you know, in the recruiting meetings with, you know, with Nick Saban and the Alabama staff. But, you know, my response to that would be is, as I, I hope so. Um, you know, just, you know, Jack West has an opportunity if he wants to. Um, you know, to sign and go to Stanford. You know, he's got the grades, he's got the ability. Um, but, you know, you, you asked me the other day, um, you know, if I think that Alabama's going to sign two quarterbacks in this class, and I don't think they are. Um, I learned a long time ago, um, you know, I'm not the, the, the guy that says this is what's going to happen. It might not, but I hope it doesn't. Because I do think, you know, that kid has, I'm talking about Jack West, um, he has a chance to, you know, go to Stanford if he wants to. Um, you know, they've got the number two dual threat quarterback, um, you know, in the country, the, the Tua kid from Hawaii. Um, you know, you stand pat, you know, go get Jack West next year and, and call it a day. That That's kind of what I hope they do, but you know, this is Nick Saban we're talking about, and, you know, I don't know. Well, that's fair. It's a good, it's a good, good assessment, as, as anybody can give. And, and the original reason that I did ask you that question the other day is I keep having people ask me if Alabama's going to take uh, Jacob Free from Brantley, who's a three-star quarterback. Uh, and, and your logic on them not taking him, it makes extremely a lot of sense because uh, even though I don't ever think Jack West would see Jacob Free as a threat to him, but it, it makes sense to not take him. He, he probably, you know, you never know what they'll do because, like, you, neither one of us is in those meetings, but your logic makes as good a sense to anybody. Now, speaking of those recruiting meetings that neither one of us is in, uh, how has the recruiting trail changed for Alabama now that Lane Kiffin has kind of been cut loose out there? You know, as much as I want to say it's a good thing, you know, at the same time, I'm like, you know, (laughs) well, you know, what's this guy going to do? But I I think it's a good thing. Um, You know, I I saw a picture of Lane, um, you know, this past weekend, you know, watching the quarterback from Hawaii, um, you know, the, the Tua kid. And, you know, Lane had on a 
white T-shirt, cargo shorts, and, you know, he looked like he had been on a five because his hair was so greasy. But at the same time, I think that's, um, you know, so positive for him to be out there, you know, not only looking at him, but, you know, knowing that he's going out there to California, you know, knowing that he's going out to, you know, Oregon and, you know, all those far west states. I mean, I think that, you know, this is coming from somebody that said when Nick Saban hired Lane Kiffin, I was like, you know, oh, my God, what well, what is Nick trying to do? He's fixing to sink the dynasty that he's built up. I was that guy. And, you know, after what I've seen him do with Blake Sims and Jake Coker, um, you know, you won't, you won't hear any more second-guessing from me about, uh, you know, what that guy's going to do. Um, I think it's a great thing. And, you know, I hope – I personally, Kerry, don't see another – you know, Power Five conference team hiring him as as their head coach. Um, I, you know, I think Lane Kiffin might be a lifer at Alabama. Even if he gets a good uh, offensive coordinator offer in the NFL. Well, I, you know, I don't know, you know, when and if that's going to happen. Um, you know, he's done such a good job at Alabama. I would have thought that he would have had suitors coming after him to, you know, to get that thing. But, you know, some people want to say, you know, you know, is Dabo going to be the next guy? Is Lane Kiffin going to be the next guy? Is Kirby going to be the next guy? Is Jeremy Pruitt going to be the next guy? Um, you know, uh, I'm kind of on the fence on a lot of those things, but uh, I'll tell you this. Alabama football is in very, very good hands. As long as Lane Kiffin is the guy that's developing quarterbacks and is the offensive coordinator for years to come. Well, I think one thing that you and I can agree on is that on a sunny October day in 2009, and I hope this is not blasphemy to our listeners, but I sat there and watched Lane Kiffin outcoach Nick Saban. Are you talking about the Jonathan Crompton game versus uh, Terrence Cody? I am. Well, let me ask you this. And, you know, we've both seen and watched, you know, kind of the stuff that, you know, Lane has done good and bad since that time in 2009. And, you know, my my point to Alabama fans would be, and, you know, I, I'm, I'm getting some information from somebody that I think is the brightest and the youngest and the best defensive coordinator in college football. Um despite all of his, uh, you know, personal, uh, you know, stuff, and don't get me wrong, it's blaring and, and, you know, a problem at times. But 
do you want to have the guy that takes over for Nick Saban to be a hell? I don't even want to name names because it puts me into a bad situation. But I'll say this: um, I would sign up for Lane Kiffin tomorrow to be that guy if I knew who his coaching staff was going to be and. I've kind of got a, a little bit of inside information about who that would be. Um, you know, there's there's a certain guy that's on the coaching staff right now that feels like he's the uh, uh, the, the next, you know, life for Mickey Andrews, so to speak. Um, and I'm talking about Jeremy Pruitt. But I, I would sign up that for that tomorrow. But, you know... At the same time, you just don't know, especially now once the divorce papers have been filed. You just don't know what you're going to get from Lane. But I will say this. He is, since Homer Smith, he is without a doubt the best X's and O's guy that has spent time, and I'm talking about the last two years, he is the best X's and O's football mind that has wandered the Moore Athletic Facility. And, you know, I think you have to kind of, you know, pay homage to that. I mean, he, he's done a fantastic job without, you know, if you look at it, uh, you know, nobody thought Blake Sims was, you know, a four-star quarterback. Nobody thought, nobody thought Blake, uh, I mean, uh, Jake Coker, was a four-star quarterback. When you look at what the guy's done, um, I think his record speaks for itself. Oh, I, I totally agree with that. I'm not. I'm not sure how comfortable I'd be with him being the head coach, just because I worry about some of the Mike Price type antics that might go on <laughs> if he stays single. Uh, but but the, the X's and O's part, and the offensive part, no doubt, no doubt, I, he, he could do it. I guess if I was having to give you my top five, if Saban retired next week, in 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 order, William, it'd probably be one Dabo, two Jimbo Fisher, three Lane Kiffin, four Jim McElwain, and five Mike D'Antonio. That'd probably be my top five that I would talk to. And I promise you, I'd never get to number five. Somebody'd say yes, but <laughs> that's just one man's opinion. Um, so yeah, but you know what? From what you and I are hearing, that decision is probably not going to be have to made be made for another five years or so. Uh, Kerry, I think you're real short sighted um, in that timeline. I think it's closer to seven years. And I, I'll, I'll say better. this: um, uh, to me, I, I, I would think that you know, especially because. Um, you know, I've kind of got privy to, you know, some, some information that involves, you know, what Nick's going to do when he does retire from Alabama. And, you know, that involves him being an ESPN analyst. He's had a, a million-dollar-a-year uh, contract on his desk for the last five years. And I do see him taking advantage of that. But you know, some of those guys that you just mentioned, I, I, I just don't see, you know, Nick signing off on that. Um, what I think is going to happen is, you know, 
whoever the the athletic director is at Alabama, um, you know, when Nick decides to retire, it's obviously not going to be Bill Battle. Um, you know, Nick's going to you know outlive him a lot longer. But but I will say this. Um, I would think that it's going to be, you know, some guys that that have some NFL experience. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to dictate that it's a guy that's had college success. Um, but, but what I do think it's going to be, especially if he stays involved like I think he's going to do, um, it's not going to be Dabo. It's not going to be Kirby Smart. It's going to be somebody way outside the Alabama um, thought process. And, you know, it's going to be the same thought process. You know, the the one thing that I thought that Nick Saban hit out of the ballpark when he took the job in January of 2007, and it was so prophetic, you know, he made the comment, you know, hey, you guys want to talk about winning a championship, but you don't want to do what it takes to win a championship. And that's why I don't think it's going to be a Dabo. It's not going to be a Kirby Smart. And, you know, get back to me when it does happen seven years from now because I think it's going to be a pretty crafty list. Fair enough. Well, we're, we're uh, going to take our one and only break of the evening, William. We thank you so much for your time here on BAMS Radio on the Asian Rim Hotline. We will talk to you again on the show very soon. Appreciate the insight. Great job as always. Thank you for bringing it, and have a good night, my friend. Thank you, Harris. All right, that's William Redfish Barcher joining us on the Asian Rim Hotline here on BAMS Radio. We're going to take our, like I said, one and only break of the evening here. We'll be back in just a few minutes. And uh, you know, on this second hour, we'll be joined by Paige Hockman of Asian Rim and Georgia Salem's mom, and also by John Garcia of Scout.com. But for now, a short break. Back in a moment here on Bands Radio.
Welcome back to Bams Radio. It is 8.08 p.m. in the Central Time Zone. If you're listening live, if you're not, we still thank you because our podcast people are big time with us. And without further ado, to kick off this uh, second and final hour of Bams this week, we're going to go to an interview that Drew DeArmond did on ESPN 97.7 The Zone in Huntsville earlier this week, uh, I believe it was yesterday, with former Alabama quarterback John Parker Wilson, who is currently a financial advisor at Stern AG and a radio commentator and a guy who gets interviewed by AL.com all the time and now by Drew. So let's go to Drew's interview with John Parker. Former Crimson Tide quarterback, we want to give great credit to Hannah Stevens, who's with me today, for hooking this up, and she's going to introduce him on the Neighbors Wealth Management Hotline. How are you doing today, John Parker? I'm great, guys. How are you all? Doing great. How are you doing today? What's up with you? What are you doing? Oh, man, just enjoying this beautiful Crimson Tide Tuesday. I've never heard that. I, I like it, though. It's got a good <laughs> ring to it. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. And, uh, again, thank you for joining us, John Parker. And uh, we wanted to kind of get your thoughts uh, on uh, with this Crimson Tide football program. Now, you you uh, saw it through a unique perspective. You uh, you were able to uh, transition from the, the Mike Shula era to uh, Coach Saban. Both of those guys with big-time NFL pedigrees, we've seen what Coach Shula has done with Cam Newton and what he's done with the Carolina Panthers. And then, we, we of course, Coach Saban with uh, the remarkable run of uh, four national championships in seven years. And you were a part of setting the tone for all that uh, in 2007 and 2008. I guess the first question for me is, have have you even been amazed at what Coach Saban has built? Man, I, well, I think everybody has. I don't think anybody could have expected the, the level of success that Alabama's experienced since he's got in there. Uh, that being said, I think um, – you know, there was a level of expectation that he had come from LSU and then, and then kind of what we had at Alabama. Uh, and, you know, I think the most impressive thing is being able to sustain it over these past, you know, eight, ten years. Um, it, 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 I would say it's easy. You know, it, it, it's hard to win one, but it's even harder to win multiple like he's done. And I think, you know, the players bought in as soon as he came on the campus, and it's just, continued uh, until today. And a lot of that has to do with, you know, his process, but definitely the leadership among the players um, has been able to continue since, uh, you know, I was there, and guys just are, are continuing to reload every year and do that. And I wanted to say one other thing. What what did you take, I guess, from Coach Shula to kind of – he is, uh, during your career that you that helped you throughout your time at Alabama and then transitioning to the National Football League for several seasons and, and Coach Saban. I know you had to take something from each guy. Yeah, you know, they were both great coaches. I think Coach Shula did so much for Alabama in recruiting um, and coaching. When it was a difficult time, you know, people, it's very easy to forget. Uh, back there in the early and mid-2000s, we were still on probation. Uh, you know, couldn't go to a bowl, had limited scholarships. So Coach Hill was there during a time where, you know, it wasn't easy, and and we definitely weren't having the success that we're having now. Um, But him being a coach in the NFL, I think playing quarterback really helped out a lot, especially in my my early years of understanding the position, how to be a leader, um, how to go out there and deal with adversity. And then, you know, moving into Coach Coach Saban, I I think his uh, level of, you know, attention to detail and doing everything right all the time. I think they both, uh, for me, you know, molded me into what I became as a quarterback and then definitely translated that and was able to play for four years in the NFL. So both those guys definitely, uh, you know, know how to coach. You can see what Coach Shula is doing now with 
with Cam and the success they've had on offense, uh, him being an offensive player, and you know, Coach Saban, his record speaks for itself. You know, and change the subject a little bit to the quarterback race this year. Just kind of give your opinion. You know, the different quarterbacks, you have Jalen Hurst, Play Burnett, David um, Cornwell, and uh, Cooper Bateman. Just talk about what you think each guy could offer and who you see, honestly, in your opinion, winning the job this year. You know, I think it's too early to tell who's going to win the job. I think every year um, since Coach Saban's been there, it's come down to whoever can win against training camp. You know, spring ball is definitely a time to go out there and show what you can do. I think at this point, everybody on the team can play. Um, whether it's the fourteen quarterback or the, the third team long snapper, everybody's good now. We've got good talent. It's just a matter of going out there and doing it. You know, last year he talked about nobody grabbed the bull by the horns and what Jacob Coker so he did it against Ole Miss when he kind of made the team his own um, and stepped into the leadership role. I think it's going to be the same for whoever wins it this year. I think every quarterback's got a little bit something different to offer. Um, but I really think it could be either any one of the four guys. And I think if you start saving and Lane Kiffin, that's a good spot to be in because you've got four guys that go out there and do it. It's just going to be a matter of who steps up and does it during – Ball training camp, but every practice is like a game. And, you know, it's not easy to go against our defense, but I think that, you know, prepares you for what you see the whole season during the SEC. Well, and, and one thing that I've uh, in, enjoyed, uh, you, of course, you got a chance to play for him uh, his first year at Alabama was uh, Jim McElwain. I thought he did a, an outstanding job offensively at Alabama and working with quarterbacks. And I think uh, he's what I could I consider a quarterback whisperer. And I think Lane Kiffin is the same thing. Uh, what, what have you seen uh, out of uh, Lane Kiffin that you've liked and what he's done in his tenure at Alabama? You know, I think I think Lane's done a good job of being able to adapt. I think he's mm. had two different quarterbacks, two different offenses, two different skill sets, whether it's a more receiver one year or the next year it's Derrick Henry. Uh, working in O.J. Howard Lane, I think he just uh, has come in and said, you know, I've got a way I want to run the offense, but it really doesn't matter unless I utilize my talent correctly. I think he's done a, just a great job of being able to come in there use different guys, and I think this year will be completely different, too. We're going to have, um, you know, a lot of weapons on the outside. You know, last year we had a running back that was the best in the country. This year I think we're really deep in wide receiver. really got, you know, four, call it four and a half with O.J. Howard at tight end. Guys who can go up there, catch the ball, and make plays. So I think it'll be interesting to see what he does this year um, with the talent he has. But I think he just done a great job of fitting in with the guys that he has. And uh, during your career, you uh, were able to gray shirt uh, and uh, delay your enrollment, and then di- and then uh, you you uh, were able to see the field still pretty early in your career. But yet you had a couple of years to play a little bit and to acclimate yourself to the college level. We saw Jalen Hurts in the spring and uh, what he is, was able to do uh, as a 17 year old early enrollee. Uh, but at the same time, uh, he's still so young, and he, he, we saw Coach Saban coaching him in the A-Day game and going over some things that, you know, some small uh, mistakes he made. Uh, do you ever foresee uh, an opportunity for uh, – or that, that Coach Saban would play a tree freshman, or is it just one of those things where it, the uh, ability to either to redshirt or to mature is, is such a big factor in playing quarterback in your mind? You know, I think it's huge in quarterback to be able to develop and, and sit back there and really uh, see things from a different angle. I think you see people like 
Aaron Rodgers, who sat behind Brett Favre for so many years, and then goes out and is, you know, arguably one of the best quarterbacks in the game. Uh, you know, that being said, we see guys like Matt Ryan who come out of a rookie and just light it up. So I think there's different ways and there's different personalities and people to be able to do that. With Jalen Hurts, I mean, hell, he should be graduating or going to his prom hmm. this week, much less right. in Tuscaloosa finishing his first semester. I think what I saw from him was a lot of composure. Mm. Uh, you know, he's not going to make every decision perfect. He's 17. He hasn't, you know, been in a SEC game yet. But I think he's got the athleticism and the composure to go out there and do it. You know, that being said, I, I wouldn't. You know, I think Coach Saban has shown time and time again, if you're good enough to play, you're going to get out there, uh, whether you're the quarterback or you're the defensive tackle. So if he goes out there and gets it done, it would not surprise me if he got to play in them. I think he can bring some different things, some different, um, you know, kind of nuances to the quarterback position that we haven't seen. So if he goes out there and, and, and keeps doing well, it would not surprise me one bit. You know, and I have a two-part question for you. The first one is, you know, from experience, you know how important off-season training is. You know, you see Blake Barnett and Jalen Hurts going home and training with some great people that can really help getting them into more shape. Just talk about how important it is. First question is, just how important it is to practice in this time between the seasons? Yeah, well, I mean, it's really a 365-day job. It's, mm. You win a national championship, and then the next week you're back in the weight room. Um and, you know, I think it's kind of a new thing for me. You know, we didn't do that when I was growing up. We didn't have all these quarterback coaches. I think it's a great, you know, go out there and get better at your, at your skills and your and your um, your game. And, any you know, having somebody else a different eye to look at, it's kind of like, you know, getting a second opinion from a doctor. I don't think it does anything uh, but help. But it's really, you know, these guys are going to, um, you know, stay in there all summer. You really don't go home. So it's, it's a – your job, and I, and I think you can see it. I mean, the product of the field is so much better. The players, the talent, and these specialized quarterback coaches are a reason why guys like Jalen Hurts can have a chance to play because they do it all year long. You know, my, that's a great point. My, that goes off my second question. Is You know, we talked about earlier when you, when you talk, called in is talking about just how Jake Coker really set himself and kind of became a leader. Talk about, like, how quarterbacks can, and even other positions, but especially quarterbacks, can really find themselves in games. You know, you look at what Jay Kirker did last year, especially in the Ole Miss, coming back, almost having an epic comeback, and then what he did in Tennessee to have that rousey in. You look at A.J. McCarron, same thing, the final drive in LSU. Just talk about those moments that really define the quarterback and him as a leader on the team. Well, I think you define those in times like, you know, training camp in August and, and off-season workouts when it's not fun. I think that's when guys are looking at the, at the leaders, whether, you know, Jay Coker or Reggie Ragland or, or whoever that is. That's when you really emerge as a leader. Um, you, know, you become you become legends in those in those big in those big moments, but you don't get to those big moments unless you put in the work and really win a team and the off season in the locker room. So it's it's uh, just like I said, it's 365 days in those you set yourself up for those big situations by putting in the time in the off season, and um, I think really just doing things the right way the whole year. You know, both Reggie and Jacob Coker were they're not you know real big rah rah guys. I think they did the right thing all the time. The teammates respected them, and you know expected them to make big plays. Um, you know down at the down the stretch. And then John Parker, uh, we we saw Blake Barnett. He struggled some this spring. Uh, the first couple of scrimmages uh, seemed to play better on a day. We talked about Jalen Hurts. 
Uh, Cooper Bateman now is a redshirt junior. He has kind of been biding his time, much like Greg McElroy did uh, during his career. And then we have someone like David Cornwell, who is going to be a redshirt sophomore. Uh, to me, the top, the the, uh, the two young guys seem to be the most talented. But as we know, that's not necessarily who's going to win the quarterback job under Coach Saban. But uh, just we, I know we've talked a little bit about these four guys. But what did you see out of uh, each uh, quarterback in the spring where you that you thought might be able to uh, give one or these guys an edge? Well, I, you know, I think talent's definitely a big part of it. That's about. I'd say 25% of playing the quarterback, especially mm. at a level like like that. There's a lot of other things, you know, kind of we talked about leadership, knowing what to do in the right situations, knowing when to take a sack and, and not throw the ball in force or just throwing it away and kicking. Um, you know, I think all these things play into it. And uh, the decisions formulated through spring, you know, Coach Cochran during the summer with those guys and then during training camp, um, you know, I think the, the the fun thing for us fans is I think all quarterbacks, all of them are different. All four guys bring a little bit different to the table. Um, so it'll be, you know, I think the job's going to be won during during the during the training camp. I'd say right now they're all pretty even. Um, so it'll be real live for you guys and, and for <laughs> AL.com to report on during during August. Yeah, it'll be a lot of breaking down of practice and. Uh, well, that was Drew DeArmond and uh, Hannah Stevens, the UA sign girl, up on the 97.7 The Zone in Huntsville, Alabama, interviewing former Alabama quarterback John Parker Wilson. So appreciate them for sharing that with us. And now we're going to bring our next guest on to the Asian Rim Hotline, a place that I had a delicious lunch at today. And she's going to talk a little bit about her restaurant, but also a lot about her son. Welcome to Bams Radio, Paige Hockman. Hey, Carrie. Hey, Drew. I wish we had Drew, but uh, Drew's uh, having to work a state playoff softball game tonight. Oh, that, who did uh, I hear John John Park. Oh, that was Drew and Hannah Stevens uh, interviewing John Parker ah. uh, from yesterday on a station up in Huntsville. Okay, gotcha. Um, yeah, he, he was with us in spirit. But, uh, yes, uh, we are glad to have you on this tonight on the Asian Realm Hotline. And the first question is, uh, first, it was great seeing you and Roy at the ball game Saturday night and uh, the Alabama-Auburn baseball series game two. Bama won the series, and they won the series because in the bottom of the 11th inning, your son, Georgia Salem, put a ball in play that I would root it a hit, but either way, uh, got by the second baseman, the winning run scored by Blanchard, a great story in itself. And Alabama takes the series over Auburn just a few hours before Mother's Day. That had to be really cool for you, Paige. Yes, it was. Saturday was awesome because um, I got to watch him graduate and um, with a double major in, in business with honors, something that I was I never did myself. I mean, I graduated, but I didn't have all the cords around my neck that he had, you know, walking through graduation. And um, then we had the great game on Saturday night. So that was probably one of the highlights of of his entire college career, having a day like that. And then um, the walk-off was, was just, you know, I would have given it a hit personally because I felt like he hit it so hard the guy just couldn't handle it. But um, I'm pretty sure they gave it an error. And uh, but he he didn't care, and I certainly didn't care, you know, anything that beats Auburn, you know. 
<laughs> we just do whatever it calls for. <laughs> oh, yeah, and it, it was just a great atmosphere, and uh, it was uh, fun to be there with my nephew, Jake, who's a big Georgia fan, and uh, unfortunately, we couldn't hang around and get another picture because of the extra innings, we had to get the boy home to his mom and daddy, but he had a great time cheering for Georgia all night. He was a uh, calling in Salem and hollering about Vestavia Rebels and all kind of stuff. He had a great time. So, oh, um, that's so cool. I know that had to be cool, though. I, I mean, as a mom to see that. And then I think Sunday, you and your other moms maybe threw out the first pitch? Yes. That was so nerve-wracking. Um, they, I, I think we had about, I don't know, 20, 25 moms or so out there throwing out the first pitch to our, you know, respective sons. And, um, you know, I think that David Kindred, who's in charge of baseball operations, I think he was all worried about how that was going to go and that, that baseballs were just everywhere. And I, I was just like, David, come on. What, we're baseball moms. Do you literally think that we can't throw a baseball, like, that far? Anyway, so um, it was that was pretty fun, and I thought they did a nice job of, of honoring motors. And the whole day, it was just a beautiful day. It was a great day. And then after graduation, they do a pretty cool thing for all of the athletes that are graduating, which there were 70 athletes graduating from um, Alabama. And over at the Malmore Conference Center in the Malmore Meeting Room, they had a big spread for all of the um all of the athletes, football players, softball players, baseball players, um, if you were a graduating athlete, they had a really nice reception from 11 to 1 after uh, they all walked at, at 9 a.m. So, you know, Alabama just does everything first class all the way. And, you know, their, the, uh, Coach Gaspard came by. Um, we had six. Uh, baseball players who walked at graduation and Coach Gaspar, Coach Phillips came by and that was really, really nice um, and we really appreciated them doing that. Yeah, it sounds like just a, a fun day in T-Town was, was had by all. A fun weekend anytime you can take your out free from your arch rival, that's a good thing. And uh, then kind of chuckled as they lost last night to Kennesaw State. But uh, <laughs> Alabama is uh, that day being Auburn. Alabama is uh, in a kind of a precarious position, Paige. The, the RPI has fallen to 60. Uh, when you take two out of three from your arch rival, it's good. But when your arch rival is not a good team, you don't get a whole lot of credit in the RPI for beating them two out of three. Exactly. Uh, of course, it would, be, it would have been great to sweep, but that wasn't meant to be, obviously, uh, a rare off-game Sunday for Colts, And, of course, he didn't get any back. Uh, back up either way. But, but hey, two out of three, not complaining. What I right. do think is important, I do think it's important because let's be honest with each other as people that follow SEC baseball page, Arkansas is really not much better than Auburn. And you do have to go on the road this weekend to Fayetteville, but I feel really good about Alabama taking two out of three this weekend. I was wondering what you thought. Well, we have to take two out of three this weekend, and we quite frankly need to sweep there. Um, because we, we're going to have to beat Sanford when they come on Tuesday. Um, and then when we play South Carolina, and you never know about this Alabama team. They, you know, we should not really win one game against South Carolina. We really shouldn't. 
But we shouldn't have gone down to LSU and almost swept them at home either. And we, you know, one more run and we beat Texas A&M. One more run, we beat Mississippi State. Win the series for those two weekends. So I don't know what will happen against South Carolina. If we take one game against South Carolina, that's really going to help us a lot. We definitely, we cannot go to Arkansas, though, and just mess around. That just can't happen. We have to win well, there, if not sweep, beat Sanford, and then it would really bring me great joy to have one win against South Carolina, if not two, if not three. Well, let me, let me, <laughs> let me tell you why I, I think that's possible, because Alabama has a great pitching staff. Oh, yeah. I, I, feel, they're, like, they're I feel like Alabama's pitching staff gives them a chance, Paige, to win every game they play, even if it's one yep. nothing, two one, three two, what have you. Uh, and I'll tell you this: if, if somebody can get through seven and have the lead, there's nobody in the country I'd rather have come in than Tommy Burroughs. Oh, I agree with that. Tommy's the man. He's he's going to go. I think he'll go really high in the draft this year. I mean, somebody's crazy if they don't draft draft him in one of the first three rounds. Well, yeah, it's very safe to say that this is Tommy's last year at Alabama. Um, yeah. But, you know, this has been sort of a Jekyll and Hyde team. They have a winning record, uh, but their RPI is 60, and when they only take 64 to the tournament, and then when there's so many automatic qualifiers, they're, they're going to need to make a little bit of a move. And, and, I, and I think the formula that you laid out would do it, Paige, and that formula is two out of three this weekend in Fayetteville. A win at home mm-hmm. against Sanford Nancy, one out of three – uh, against Carolina at home, and, and Carolina's a top five team. And then I yeah. do believe they need to get Hoover and win one. Yeah, I I think that we need to do that. But typically, if you are relying on Hoover to do anything for you, then you're talking about finishing second place. I hope that we don't get to that point where it's like we have to win or get second place in the SEC tournament. I mean, that's just really tough on our pitching staff to try to do that. You know, they could get close, but then you got to turn around, you know, and, and go to regional the next week. So I hope that, you know, I hope that we're in the field of 64 for sure before, you know, the SEC tournament. I really, really wish that would that could happen. And, you know, I think, thank goodness we were able to, you know, take one against Texas A&M and, and um, against, I mean, we've beaten three three of the top five teams in the last two weeks. You know, so it's it's like, oh, yeah. that, like said, we should that get credit for that. You're in every game. They, they should, and, and, and most of the projections right now do have Alabama being on the road at three seed, and, and and I'll take that for this team for all they've gone through and the injuries yeah. they've battled. And if they go on the road as a three, I'll take it. I'll take it right now and not complain. Well, I mean, you've got to look at it. I mean, we lost our starting shortstop at Texas A&M on a fluke play, and he was – you know, Chandler Avant was hitting close to 400, if not over 400 at that point. And then we've lost Connor. Connor. Oh, why am I? Short. I have drawn a blank. Yes, Connor Short on third base. 
with a pulled quad. I mean, he had the concussion. Then when he came from back from that, he had a pulled quad. So, you know, and, hey, Daniel Kujan has, has, has stepped up. Of course, Chance Mintz is an amazing third baseman. He's done a great job over there. Cody Henry plays his heart out on first base. But we've also, you know, losing losing Chandler at shortstop when he was just, you know, he was four for five, I think, the game before he got hurt at A&M. I mean, he's just, he, he was really doing phenomenal. And Connor Short was hitting the ball very, very well before his concussion. Then then he gets the quad injury. And so we're, we're, we've got two of our, in, you know, starting infielders that are out. And we're still, we, we stayed in there with Texas A&M, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I think the team uh, has shown a lot of heart this year. Uh, I, I feel like they should have a few more wins uh, than they do, uh, particularly that uh, – we're not going to talk about that crazy game at Sanford on the weeknight where the guy ran out of the baseline and didn't get called out. But oh, my gosh, I know. I, I know Tommy was, you know, being rested that night, but I would like to have seen Mitch maybe go to another closer that night, I, 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 whatever. Those kind of things can yeah. come back and bite you on the day that the NCAA oh, yeah. That's why, as you said, it's extremely important to take two out of three this weekend. Now, I don't mean to sound like a broken record, but I really believe this. Two out of three this weekend is not a sweep, but two out of three for sure. Sanford wins mm-hmm. Tuesday, one out of three Carolina. And when I said one in Hoover, I meant just to kind of pad the RPI a little bit with another. I agree. I definitely I don't mean trying to, to win to tournament. Hoover. I'm not that stupid. Yeah, <laughs> but, well, I definitely, yeah, I definitely don't want to go lose. That first day is single elimination, too. So my thing is get that one in Hoover and give your chance, uh, yourself a chance to play two more ball games, and then we'll just see what happens. It, you know, it, it, if they got hot enough, they might could get to a two seed in the tournament. Oh, yeah. But well, uh, a two hey, would listen, be great. But I, I would take three. I would, I'm not going to I would not. I'm telling you, I it it just is. It, this these boys, they are so much. There's so much talent on their team, and when their bats get hot, and our pitchers are have got their mojo working, which they've had their mojo working the whole year pretty much. You know, they can beat anybody. They can beat anybody, and. Kuchin was starting down at LSU, by the way, when we beat them two out of three at home with that crowd. So, you know, I mean, who knows? I mean, would that not be incredible if we happened to win the South Carolina series, which you know that I'm married to a Gamecock? And you admit it. I am married to Mr. South Carolina. We will be a house divided that weekend. I understand. But one thing y'all are a house together on is the Asian Rim. And I had another That's great right. meal there today, and I had the uh, drunken noodles with the chicken, and I had my traditional shrimp boat appetizer, and great time, uh, great food, great great atmosphere, great service. And I told them last hour about Monday, $1.25 sushi, and Tuesday and Thursday, $10 off takeout orders. I told them about Wednesday, $5 craft martini. I told them about Thursday half off of wine, and I told them about Monday through Friday happy hour uh, from 3 to 6, where you get $1 off beer and $2 off wine and liquor. So I told them the specials, and now I've told them again, and I just want to tell you how much I love going in there. 
Well, thank you. And listen, we need to hire you to do our commercials, Carrie, because you just threw, flew through all those specials better than I can. So I really appreciate it. I really, really appreciate uh, the the uh, props on that. And you know, we just want uh, all of your listeners when they're coming through Birmingham to please come by Asian Rim and come see us. We are open seven days a week for lunch and dinner. And if you don't like sushi or Asian food, we have American food too on the menu as well. And I uh, would also invite you, if you have any private events coming up, to let us know to 75 in our wave bar. And also around the um, patio, the perimeter, we're getting televisions out there so people will be able to sit on some really nice furniture and, you know, watch sports or, or whatever. We've just bought a new sports package there as well. So be on the lookout for the outdoor television watching soon to come and by all means um you know come see us at asian realm and uh everybody i urge you to take her advice on that and uh i hope <laughs> the tvs will be there in time for y'all to sit out there and watch georgia state on play in the SEC and subway tournament please do and roll tide carrie roll tide thank you for calling that's uh paige hockman owner of asian rim sponsor of the asian rim hotline and uh, joining us next on the Asian Rim Hotline is uh, one of my good friends, co-workers, and confidants, uh, a friend of this show. He's been with us for years as a guest, and glad to have him back again tonight from BamaMag.com, from Scout.com, John Garcia, Jr. John, how you doing? Terry, always a pleasure, my friend. Uh, doing well. How about yourself? Doing pretty good, doing pretty good. And uh, we did talk a little recruiting last hour with uh, William Redfish Barger, but some of the things I asked him, I'd like to get your take on as well. And I'll just go ahead and start it off with uh, something I didn't ask him, but something that you and I did discuss on BamaMag.com today. A rumor has arisen. Well, it's not a rumor that running back Tiff Turner, Alex Ross of University of Oklahoma, is going to be a graduate transfer. I think Missouri feels very good about their chances to land him. But recently, John, the University of Alabama's name has popped up as a possible destination for Alex Ross, Tiff Turner, and running back from Oklahoma. Yeah, and this is an interesting development, Carrie. Uh, you've been on top of it, as you mentioned, on Bama Mag, and this is really a new situation. You know, Ross, I believe less than a week ago, announced his plans to transfer. So that means he took part in the spring game at Oklahoma, the whole nine yards, and then decided, you know what, when I graduate in May, I'm going to transfer. So in those six days, he's already visited Missouri. Several other programs have uh, come to light with him. And now from the Alabama perspective, it's interesting, both in his position, he is a running back. He was a four-star guy coming out of high school at a, a very big time, really the high school in Oklahoma, Jenks High School. Um, so he was a coveted guy coming out of high school, certainly has a good skill set, a, a really impressive kick returner, was an All-American kick returner two years ago. I think he averaged over 30 yards a return. But where Bama fits in is is those two positions. There's there's going to be some turnover there, obviously. Derrick Henry gone, Kenyon Drake gone. So he could potentially fill this void um, as these young guys look to compete for touches at running back. Um, but in terms of the scholarship perspective, of course, Bama did not get Demetrius Robertson. It missed out on Josiah Coatney there to end the class of 2016. So that scholarship that would have gone to one of those two still technically available, and that's before you even get into any potential attrition 
going into the summer, into fall camp, which could still happen, especially at the quarterback position. So the numbers work out for Ross. Uh, the timing works out for Ross, and his position at Bama would work out as well. So it seems like it, it could be a situation to keep a close eye on. No word yet on a visit or a potential visit, um, but obviously um, it, we're in May, so it's, it's time to graduate You know, in terms of the college's so his timeline can be as accelerated as he wants it to be. So I would say that that news can change by the day, and obviously his position and experience and uh, status as a high-profile recruit several years ago all could uh, develop into a nice formula for Alabama. If I remember correctly, he was a four-star coming out of Jinx High School. Uh, help catch me up on that and what you remember about him as a recruit. And also, off the top of my head, I don't remember his size. Yeah, uh, he, he's a speed guy, um, but he doesn't look like it. So he's got kind of the Kenyon Drake mold. You know, he's he's six foot and a half, six one, just over two hundred pounds. So he's got the same frame as Kenyon Drake, and really the same immediate evaluation point, which is straight line speed. It's it's a blur. He's a guy that won't get caught if he does break out. That's why he was such a good special teams kick returner type of guy, um, maybe not necessarily the wiggle guy, maybe not the uh, quickness of a Kenyon Drake, but, again, that home run type of ability. And, that's again, that could be just what the doctor ordered for Alabama if it's looking for a potential change of pace guy, just a guy who can do a little bit more in the you know blink of an eye than uh, Bo Scarborough or Damian Harris. Neither of them would be considered speedbacks in my opinion. So he could be a nice change of pace when you look at it that way. And like you said, Kerry, he was a four-star guy coming out of high school, a top 200 recruit overall, so among the top 10 or so running backs in the class, I believe it was 2012. Um, so he was a highly talented guy, stayed home and went, went to Oklahoma and contributed as a reserve running back. Obviously, you know that they've had great running backs here lately, so he's kind of been buried down the depth chart. Uh, and he's looking for, you know, a fresh start. So Bama could be an interesting scenario for him. But evaluation-wise, um, good size but really good speed. So something that maybe Bama doesn't have at that running back position just yet. So the hiding weight is similar to that of Drake? Yeah, so six foot and a half, 205, 210 or so. So a good Very a similar. good size back. Not, even though he's a straight line guy, he's not, you know, a small guy by any means. Yeah, okay, cool. And, and of course, you know, coming out of spring, Alabama had Calvin Ridley as a number one kick return. That's not really a scenario you want to use if you don't have to. Now, Xavier Marks was making a move and may still make a move, either at punt returner or kick returner. But, wow, what a great insurance policy this guy would be at that position and also at the running back position where, let's be honest, Bo Scarborough is not known for playing a season unscathed health-wise, and Damian Harris is unproven. So, you know, and, hey, and you know what? The guy's used to wearing crimson, John. <laughs> yeah, you know, he's, he's play, it's not like he was, you know, never getting touches. He's got just under 1,000 yards rushing in his career. We mentioned the kick return numbers, over 30 yards two years ago, took two of them to the house. He was an All-American kick returner. I mean, that alone would be probably good enough to pick up a scholarship at Alabama. And, and yeah, it's a rental. It's a one-year deal. Grad transfers, we know how they work. In today's college football, it seems like every school has one or two on the roster. Bama, of course, got one two years ago with Jake Coker's, getting one now with, with Garrett Dieter, the wide receiver from Bowling Green. So, um, this is not something atypical, and like you said, he's used to big games. He's used to wearing crimson. Um, and and the best thing maybe about these guys is that they have an immediate chip on their shoulder because 
you know, they, they were highly touted at some point, and it just didn't work out how they thought at school A. So when you get to school B, you, you carry that with you. So that's something that certainly cannot hurt as he would fight for touches at Alabama and, and obviously fight to, to be on that special teams unit as well, which is, I, I think, something that he would definitely occupy or, or be a big threat for, especially, like you said, if, if Calvin Ridley or one of the main offensive guys is going to be asked to do that. I think he's, uh, like you said, a great insurance policy. And, again, a leader, an older guy, a guy with a degree. You know, you can't have too many of those on the roster. John, I was reading Twitter tonight, and as you well know, the uh, high school spring jamboree games have, have started up, and uh, one of the gentlemen who covers the high school area in Mobile for AL.com was talking about the fact that uh, he was watching Spanish sport play tonight, and this is just like an hour ago, and he's watching Justin Thomas, whose dad, Alessari, I'm playing offensive line Alabama, He's watching Justin Thomas with a handful of hurries, a, a couple of sacks, uh, just really playing great for Spanish sport. And Justin Thomas, in, in, at least from what I'm able to gather, yes, he's an Alabama legacy, but he seems to be a guy that, that Nick Saban is really interested in. Yeah, you know, he's he's one who I'm surprised with in terms of how he has handled his recruitment. I thought it would be a quick ascent and maybe an early commitment, which, of course, would have been good news for Alabama, but he's really sort of sat back and, and waited things out a little bit more. And he's picked up a, a ton more offers as, as schools have realized that, hey, this isn't a kid who's going to go to Bama no matter what type of scenario as time has gone by. So now all of a sudden he's one of the more coveted, you know, rising prospects over the last six to eight months in the entire South, not just Alabama. Uh, and, and as you mentioned, you know, Bama wants him. LSU wants him, South Carolina, Georgia, Auburn, Ole Miss. I mean, he's got a great list of offers and interest, uh, and it's because he's a combination guy. That's what you need in today's college football. You need a guy who can play inside on certain downs, outside on other downs. I think you go back to, to Alabama's roster last year, guys like Jonathan Allen, DJ Petway, Jaron Reed, these guys all played inside and outside at different points, depending on the defense, depending on the down and distance. You can't have enough of those versatile guys who can do a little bit of everything. That's what Thomas is. He's a basketball player by nature, so you expect him to have good feet. He does. You expect him to have good quickness. He does. Where he needs to develop now is his polish on the football field since he's still somewhat new to the sport at a high level. He needs to get bigger and stronger. He needs to develop those pass rushing moves, get that grip. But he's got that quickness and those great feet and really good size. As you mentioned, his father was, was an offensive lineman. Um, so it's it's really nice ingredients to be a, a nice developmental guy uh, for an SEC school. But, uh, again, every time he, he gets out there, he seems like he's a little bit better. And I think that's one of the biggest reasons his stock is so high right now. He's he's in a state where there's a lot of good D linemen. You know, you've got your LeBron Rays, your Ryan Johnson, Alec Jackson's the hottest kid in the state. And Justin Thomas is right there on their heels. And I think in terms of the combination guys, he may be the, the highest upside. I think the other ones are pretty defined in their positions, but I think Thomas could be the most versatile. Speaking of guys that can rush the passer, Alabama seems to be making a move. You hate to use the term private commitment because I don't even know if there is such a thing anymore. But Alabama seems to be making a good move on Will Ignant, who is now back at Buckhorn High School. Yeah, uh, Will, I mean, he's he talk about a kid who's every few months it's such a big change in his recruitment. You know, he's really 
sort of sat back and, and let things develop. I think a year ago you would have said he was a lock to a place out of the state of Alabama. And then six months ago it would have been Auburn 100%, nobody else even close. And then here as we are now, it seems like Alabama really has the upper hand in his recruitment. Um, a lot of things have changed with those schools in terms of their coaching staff, obviously, from the Alabama perspective. New defensive coordinator, a bunch of changes uh, in his area, obviously uh, not Mel Tucker territory anymore. So once he adjusted to all of that and really got back into why Bama likes him so much, it was easy to see that ascent. And then, of course, Nick Saban's always on the case there. That's always going to help uh, in Alabama. Yeah, and, and, you know, there's a report saying he's a silent commitment somewhere and it could come public at some time, all that stuff. It is what it is, Kerry. You you know it just as well as I do. Some kids are, have been silently committed to two and three schools, and they eventually reveal it closer to signing day. I mean, it's it's a small part of the game at this point. It's just like a verbal commitment to some degree. It's it's just a leader more so than for sure where a kid's going. But nonetheless, Will Ignat, he's an interesting talent. We talked about Justin Thomas being new to football. Well, to some degree, Ignat's in the same place, only at his position. He's really a running back who just now realized, hey, I'm going to be a linebacker in college. So he played it a lot as a junior at Buckhorn High School, went down to IMG and played linebacker next to Dylan Moses for, you know, that brief period, and he really settled into the position. So now he's hopefully going to take the next step as a linebacker because we saw a lot of flashes last year, but certainly he was very raw and it was much more of a read-and-react type of thing than, than us seeing those elite instincts. But he has – the size, you know, 6'2", 235 pounds, can run really well. He has good lateral quickness. I mean, he's he's an SEC linebacker all the way, inside all the way. He could play outside with his athleticism. And then, like you said, he could rush the passer as well. So he's one that really has untapped potential, which is a theme in Alabama. We mentioned Justin Thomas, Will Ignant in that boat, Darian Moultrie, who just committed to Auburn, has never played linebacker before. So the, the talent is so good that these guys are – three- and four-star guys, even though they really haven't settled into their position. So I think that's the complement of, of what we feel they could become in the next year or two. Did they not return to Buckhorn because he could not win a starting job at IMG, or was there another reason? No, he was he was loving it at IMG, and they loved him. You know, we actually spoke to some of his teammates. They were kind of bummed to see him go. You know, he went on record with us and said, hey, this is just the best decision between me and my family. He mentioned his mom specifically. So naturally, you think of homesickness, which is something that has happened a lot at IMG. It always happens right there as March turns into April because these kids, you know, they're away from home for the first time. They're staying in dorm rooms. They have a bed check every single day, I believe 10 or 10.30 and 11 on the weekends. And then they go home for spring break, and they're like, whoa, you know, this is – this is a big difference, you know, and maybe it was what they expected, maybe it wasn't what they expected, but a lot of times, and IMG sort of prepares for this, they they expect some kids to just not come back, you know, and, and that's the timeline of, of Will Ignorant there. He went back home to Buckhorn, he really enjoyed it, and, and for one reason or another he ended up wanting to go back. Um, IMG was not surprised by the move, however, so you can sort of take that uh, how you want it. Maybe they expected him to stay. Maybe it was uh, an external reason. But either way, huge news for the state of Alabama, huge news 
for Buckhorn High School, and, and of course, huge news for Alabama. He, he visited Tuscaloosa soon thereafter, and really, Bama's been in command of his recruitment ever since. So no matter why he's back at Buckhorn, it, it's going to benefit, um, of course, the state and, and, and probably the Crimson Tide in the end, although, as we mentioned, he's, he's had a lot of schools very high on his list, and he wants to see some others, Notre Dame, is a recent offer that he likes. He's going to go check out uh, the Irish fairly soon. They're they're recruiting Alabama as hard as they ever have. Um, so he's still going to certainly take some some visits and and keep it open to some degree. But Bama today has got to like where they sit for uh, one of the best linebackers in a loaded linebacker class. It is loaded, and it's loaded in the state. And I think for at least maybe a couple of three weeks, Alabama thought it was in command of Tadarian Moultrie's recruitment, but when it came time to commit, he kind of uh, shifted back to the eastern side of the state, the Auburn Tigers. Is this the situation where Alabama will continue to push for TD Moultrie? You know, that's going to be interesting, uh, Kerry. I think, you know, TD grew up a big Bama fan. There's no – that's not a secret. His family, largely Alabama fans. I mean, they're from Birmingham, so that's, you know, typically a Crimson Tide town. Um, however – Auburn offered first. Auburn was consistent throughout everything. Bama sort of fluctuated a little bit with them, and, and, you know, that happens at times. You know, they obviously had to stabilize their recruitment after offering later than other programs, including Auburn, as we mentioned, which was his first overall scholarship offer. Um, And there was some miscommunication as well on two separate visits that he did take to Tuscaloosa. One, he left earlier than Bama expected to, so Bama didn't necessarily get to present him with what they wanted to. And another time, there was a confusion with who he was allowed to bring. You know, So sometimes the little things can sort of add up, and, and the timing wasn't right because he wanted to make a commitment during the spring. So everything sort of shifted towards Auburn. It was the continuity um, it was really the lack of linebacker talent, and that's something he told me. We had an exclusive interview about why he picked Auburn, and he said, look, man, they haven't had a great linebacker in a long time. You know, And that was a, a big reason uh, why he wanted um, to be at Auburn. He wants to, he wants to be the guy. And um, at, at Alabama, obviously, that's something that you have to um, keep be developed into. Um, but I, I do expect the Crimson Tide to recruit him at least to some degree going forward. I'm not sure – how hard they'll push. Auburn's going to take many more linebackers than Alabama is in this class, and Bama has two committed already, five-star Vandarius Cowan down in Florida and Gary Johnson, who's a a junior college star originally from Alabama. Um, So I don't know how many more they're going to take. We just mentioned Ignat, a guy who they lead for, and they're in the running for many others, Dylan Moses, Chris Allen. um, The list really goes on and on. So um, he could be an odd man out in this scenario, uh, but nevertheless, I do think that his commitment to Auburn is really solid. He and his coach uh, have been really adamant about not taking other visits, about making a commitment and standing by it. And we hear that a lot, and sometimes kids go back on it. But just knowing him, and you know, I, I met him when he didn't have an offer a year and a half ago after he had gotten shot and missed the whole season. You know, he seems like a kid who will stick to his guns with the commitment. However, um, if there's one school that would get him to budge, it would be Alabama, the school he grew up rooting for the school his best friend and, and guy he looks up to plays for, and Reuben Foster, and, of course, the school his family uh, grew up following very closely as well. So we shall see with T.D. Moultrie. My gut says he sticks it out with Auburn, but um, if Alabama does push, I do expect him to listen at least a little bit. 
All right, I'm going to ask you not to comment on the next statement I'm going to make, but just for the benefit of our listeners uh, who wonder how this turned the way it did, uh, and, and John, just stay silent. This, this is a situation much like Jeffrey Simmons at Mississippi State, where the high school coach got overly involved. The high school coach is a huge fan of the school the kid committed to, and while deep down in his heart, T.D. Moultrie may want to be at Alabama, the high school coach made sure he made as many visits as possible to Auburn. And I agree with John. He's going to stay true to that commitment, but it may not be for the reasons that, that we think. But you know what? If, if playing time is what it's based on, I don't blame the kid at all because there is a waiting line at Alabama at linebacker. But trust me when I tell you, the high school coach had a big part in this commitment to Auburn. Moving on to the next question. Uh, John, I want to ask your opinion because we don't know too much about it because we don't have a large body of work, at least not recent body of work. But what do you think about the potential uh, recruiting situation, the the status of the recruiting abilities and skills of longtime NFL assistant Carl Dunbar now that he's officially part of the Alabama staff? Yeah, first of all, I don't understand why it took so long to make it official. I think – our first confirmed report was probably two weeks ago, and you broke the news that there was a second interview and that it went well. I mean, it seemed like this was a foregone conclusion for some time. But like you said, it is finally official. Carl Dunbar, you mentioned, longtime NFL guy, worked in college at several different places as well, played in the NFL. So I think a lot of these things will help him in recruiting, and, and most importantly, probably, is that he's from Louisiana. Uh, Of course, that's an area that Alabama wants to recruit extremely well. Uh, You've got Burton Burns, who's an ace out there. Billy Napier's done some good work in Louisiana. So now you add Carl Dunbar, and this is a formidable trio in that state. You know, if kids aren't going to LSU and they're elite, good chance they'll be at Alabama here for the next couple of years because Dunbar has those ties. He, he, I believe, played at Louisiana Lafayette, and he recruited the area ever ever since he's been in the college game. Um, So, that will be a big benefit on the recruiting trail. But I think the most tangible thing that will help him as a recruiter, and this is regardless of his position, and, of course, he played defensive line, so he's going to coach defensive line, which, which of course, will work, is that he coached and played in the NFL. I think sometimes we, we look a little bit, and, I, and I'm, I'm guilty of this too, sometimes we look a little bit too deep into where the guy's from and what he does well on the trail. Like uh, Kirby Smart was known for being laid back, and then he'd pop that energy in, and kids love that. You know, I think we read into that a little too much at times. I think sometimes it's much simpler than that. And a guy like Carl Dunbar has done it at the highest level. He's coached it at the highest level. So that could be his best asset. Going into a living room and say, hey, look, you're a defensive end. I was a defensive end. This is what I did. This is what you could do, and we think you could do that at Alabama. Here's the tangible draft picks. I mean, you could just look this past year on the defensive line. Here's what I did. Here's where we think you could fit in and you could become the best version of yourself here. I think those facts are uh, probably his, his best asset. Of course, he's worked with Nick Saban in the past, so that helps. Um, but I think the fact that he can help kids get to the NFL will be the best thing going for him because at the end of the day, I think that's still – not talked about enough in recruiting. Kids are picking colleges, elite kids now. Kids are picking colleges for the NFL. Why does Dylan Moses want to play linebacker in college instead of running back? It's not because he doesn't want the football, and it's not because he wants to be an all-SEC linebacker. It's because he wants to go to the NFL, and if he does that, it's going to be as a linebacker and not as a big running back. So I think that stuff matters more and more to the elite kids, especially those you know five stars, high four stars, top 100 type kids. 
the NFL matters as much as anything else in recruiting, and I think that's where Carl Dunbar can really shine, and he'll help this transition be very, very smooth. Very good assessment. And John, I want to thank you for taking time to join us tonight uh, on the Asian Realm Hotline for BAMS Radio. We're getting ready to close our show out. But uh, thank you again so much for your time, and we'll talk soon. Always a pleasure, Kerry. Thanks for having me. Okay, John Garcia, scout.com and bamamag.com. And also, don't forget to go and listen to John's podcast. Uh, just Google Crimson and Blue Chips, and you can hear that several times each week. And uh, we're going to go ahead and get ready to close out this edition of BAMS Radio. Uh, but to answer a question that John posed just a moment ago, Alabama did take its time making Carl Dunbar official because Jeremy Pruitt wanted to make a serious run at Georgia defensive line coach and former Auburn Tiger Tracy Rocker. That didn't come to fruition. Dunbar is a great choice. He will do fine for the reasons John mentioned. And, uh, again, good, good hire by Nick Saban. But I uh, want to thank everyone for listening to BAMS Radio this week. Thank John Garcia of Scout.com for joining us. I uh, want to thank William Redfish Barger for his uh, analysis, uh, Drew and his interview with John Parker Wilson, and Paige Hockman calling in on her own Asian Rim Hub. We'll be back with you next week, same bat time and same bat channel. Thank you again for listening to BAMS Radio. I'm Kerry Clark, your co-host for Thomas Watts of Touchdown, Alabama. For myself, Kerry Clark of BamaMag.com. Good night and roll tide, everybody.